I love this time of year for a lot of reasons, um, not, not the least of which is, I mean, it is event after event and thing after thing, and when you take them all individually, I mean, they are full of life and joy, <laughs> but sometimes when you put all of those things back to back to back, you can kind of come to a place of exhaustion and you can lose focus. And so I'm grateful that each and every week we have an opportunity to come in and to focus on uh, the, the real reason that we are celebrating. And <clears throat> we have had a number of parties and graduations and birthdays and all kinds of things in this last season. And um, each and every night, um, probably because we have like a gazillion kids, um, <laughs> we have to wrap all these presents. And by we, I mean Jen. And... Uh, <laughs> So every night after we do a party or whatever, uh, we're, we're usually trying to find some Christmas movie, whether that's Hallmark or something on Hulu, uh, or just to tune into a show. And one that we really have enjoyed in this season has been The Crown, season five. Any fans? All right. Like two of you. That's cool. So this is going to really mean something to you and to me, but to everyone else, you get to listen in. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what it is about the, the British monarchy, but uh, for Jen and I, we are all in. And uh, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with the crown, it kind of traces the rule and the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. And what you see over all of the seasons is this uh, very regal royal family that is fighting for their place um, in England, and it is something that is ever diminishing. And uh, on season five, my absolute favorite moment was Tony Blair. So this is in the 90s. This is kind of focusing in on Charles and Diana and their breakup and their divorce. But Tony Blair is elected prime minister, and he could care less about the monarchy. Um, and it is obvious from the beginning. And um, he takes a trip with Prince Charles to Hong Kong, and they are flying on the same flight. And the prime minister and all of his cabinet are in first class, and Prince Charles, who is supposedly the next monarch of Great Britain, is relegated to business class. And you can imagine, I mean, he is absolutely fuming, you know? Um, he, you know, how could royalty be treated like this? And you see this idea of an ever-diminishing monarchy. That stands into stark contrast between what we are going to witness today as we look at Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to see uh, the promise in Isaiah chapter 9 that there is an increase of his government and his peace. There will be no end. And there's no better news for anyone that has placed their hope and their faith and their confidence in Jesus that there is an offer of a world of ever-increasing peace, right? In a world that's filled with chaos, discouragement, despair, anxiety, worry. What is it like to receive and to fix our eyes on a Prince of Peace who brings an ever-increasing experience of his peace to the world? That's what's offered to us this morning as we look at Isaiah chapter 9. And it really has been my prayer this morning is that there would be no one that walks out of this room without a, a tangible expression of what it means to have the Prince of Peace 
rule in their lives and over their lives. Um, this is not just a, a Bible lesson. This is, this is God who has been made flesh that is offering us tangible relief in the midst of our stories. And that's exactly what we're going to see as we look at Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to welcome Jillian Busby to the microphone. She's going to read Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7. Let's welcome her. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Would you pray with me? Father, so much now we want to enter into this experience of your ever-increasing government and your ever-increasing rule and reign of peace and grace and hope and mercy. We pray that as you have already met us through a, a real tangible expression of your goodness passing before us in worship. We don't take that for granted, that, that we're not just singing songs to the sky fairy, but you really are present among us, moving and changing us. I pray that, that your same goodness will continue to meet us at every aspect of our story. You have sovereignly brought all of us together to fix our eyes on the Prince of Peace and to experience his rule and his reign. We ask that you would do this for his name's sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to focus in on these four names of Jesus that are revealed in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. He's described as a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And we're going to kind of spend some time on each of those phrases, but before we do, I want us to understand a little bit of the context so that you can kind of connect emotionally with Scripture. I hope that you understand when you pick up the Bible, you're, you're reading a story of real people that have real experiences. Um, if you kind of treat this like a science textbook, it's not going to go well for you. Um, this really is a, a book that's meant to be experienced. This is the, the real life story of the people of God, and he's bringing them real hope in the midst of their story. This promise originally came to a group of people that were living with a sense of dread and anxiety and impending doom. This is written to the southern kingdom of the people of Israel known as Judah. The ten tribes of the northern kingdom had fallen uh, just a few decades earlier to the kingdom of Assyria. And basically they are this defenseless group of people with a, with a sense that there are world powers that are going to march in on them and they are going to experience real loss. I'm sure their, their first thought was, we're next, right? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a season of life where you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Um, things are going maybe okay at this particular moment, but around the corner, you know what awaits you is difficulty and chaos and anxiety and dread. This promise of this Savior and this Messiah is spoken into a context where the future is uncertain, 
This is meant to give us certainty in the midst of uncertain times that we have a place and a firm foundation that we can fix our life and our hope on. Everyone in the room knows what it's like to experience the reality of uncertainty and trials, um, to walk through seasons where there are more demands on you than you are physically and emotionally capable of addressing. It is into this context that we are promised a Savior. So this king that's proclaimed is for fearful people and anxious people and overwhelmed people, right? So if you are in this room, this Savior is for you. This is a promise of God being faithful to his people even in the midst of their unfaithfulness. So if you are here and you know that you've blown it and you know that you haven't really made room in your life in this season for this Messiah, he's still here this morning. He's still appealing to you that you would find life and that you would find hope and that you would experience real peace. So the big idea that we're going to look at this morning is that the king who is for you will always be greater than anything that comes against you. I want, to, I want that to land for you. The king that is for you will always be greater than anything that comes against you, and you will have things that come against you, right? You, the, the reality is this king is for us. Now, we have, we're going to unpack these names of Jesus, and in the Bible, names are significant, right? Now, not as significant for me and my family. We tried to choose names that were appropriate for our children. Um, but basically, like we went down to a bookstore or we borrowed a book because this was before the days of the internet. That's a long time ago. Um, when we were going to name our children, we just went through a, a list of names and we're like, well, Mabel doesn't sound right or Opal or Abigail. Now we're going to land on Hannah. That sounds good. That sounds right. Right? So they went to a little bit more trouble in the Bible. In the Bible, names kind of signify not only um, something about the family, but it also communicates something about who these people are destined to be. It is something that they are created for. And so um, you can use the classic example of Jacob in the Old Testament. I don't know if you know his story or what his name means, but it basically means deceiver or supplanter. So like he's a trickster. So can you imagine, I don't know how they did it, but going in to like do try to buy and sell and trade some goods and Jacob introduces himself and he says, hi, how are you doing? My name is Deceiver, right? Yeah. When those are jokes, you just, you know, you just laugh and it goes a lot better. I have to say that every week, but we're, we're going to grow as a church family in 2023 and laughing and having a good time while we're here at church, all right? So Jacob's name meant deceiver, and he basically cheated his brother out of his inheritance, but then he had this experience with God where he was wrestling with God and contending with God, and God changed his name to Israel, which literally means the one that contends with God. So God oftentimes names people according to their destiny. Well, it's no different for Jesus. These fourfold names of Jesus reveal his character. They reveal his mission. He gives us an access point to him so we can experience his salvation. So these aren't just like accolades like you would read in a newspaper, but these are real anchor points for you to call out in the midst of your story and your experience with God that you can call on him and receive 
fresh hope and fresh life. And so we're going to unpack these four names together. The first one is Jesus is revealed as a wonderful counselor. Jesus is God's wisdom revealed. This has everything to do with God's infinite wisdom. That Jesus rules our lives with life-giving wisdom. He is the wonderful counselor. His wisdom is infinite in scope. And don't miss this, it is loving in its application. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says this, speaking of God's infinite wisdom. He says, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Right? This means that he knows every single possibility. This means that he never learns anything. He's a lot like a teenager, except even better. Right? I mean, he, <laughs> he is all wise. He is all loving. And the good news for us in the midst of this Advent season, whether 2022 or, well, yeah, 2022, we're about to turn into 2023, has been the best year of your life or the most difficult. He is sovereign over our lives, but he also is all wise in governing our lives and our story. And we can trust him in the midst of our stories because he is our wonderful counselor. His understanding is unsearchable. But not only does he know things and events, but he knows us personally and intimately. Psalm 8 verses 3 and 4 say this, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the one that formed these, and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. So this God that hung the moon and the stars and set them in place has formed and fashioned you. And listen, the good news of Advent is he is mindful of you. He has not forgotten you. What is on the mind and the heart of God right now, all across this globe, it is his children. It is his people. It is those that will take refuge in him. And even though this God knows us personally and intimately, he knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, sometimes that doesn't seem like good news. But Psalm 103 verse 14 says, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strength. He knows that we need a Savior. It is into this context that we have this promise of a wonderful counselor. Even when we were his enemies, he gave up his life for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 speaks of the centerpiece of the wisdom of this wonderful counselor being the cross of Jesus Christ. That he was hung up. The wisdom of Christmas is that this baby, this child that we're talking about, was born to die. Like He was born to take on the sin and the rebellion of you and me and the entire world. And this is at the centerpiece of the wisdom of God. He is our everlasting God. He is our wonderful counselor. 
He's the king that was born to die. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the end from the beginning. And he knows how to govern our lives and our stories. And especially the things that you're going through right now. None of them have caught him off guard. He has personally already made provision for you through the cross, through the resurrection, through the spirit of wisdom that he pours out on his people through the Holy Spirit. So that we can, even in the midst of difficulty, know and understand and repeat the words of Paul in Romans 11.33 who praises. He says, Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. He is our wonderful counselor that walks with us. Even when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. So where do you need God's life-giving wisdom today? He brought you here to experience his personal counsel to pull you near as a father pulls close a child to instruct you and lead you and guide you in the way that you should go. And his invitation this morning is that you would come and that you would receive and that you would ask and that he would meet you in the midst of your story. The next title we're going to look at is Mighty God. This title refers to Jesus' un matched power. He is the god of angel army or, or the god of angel armies. He is the warrior god who declares war on sin and death and evil and the grave. His throne is eternal. There are no rivals, there are no equals to Jesus. And that means for every single person in this room that 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, you have access to the mighty god. You have access to his power in the midst of your story. He doesn't just leave you and guide you in the midst of your story. He actually has power in the midst of your story to deliver you. Now, this comes, it says, unto us a child is born and a son is given. This comes in this this wonderful mystery that there is this baby that is born to rule, this baby that is born to govern, that all of the fullness of the Godhead dwells in a tiny baby so that we can be delivered, so that we can experience his power. But the best news of the Bible is that this mighty God saves and represents the weak. The miracle of Christmas only comes to people who are willing to admit that they're weak that are willing to admit that they cannot save themselves or change themselves or deliver themselves. He promises to give power to the weak. He says that my power is made perfect in weakness. He's the champion of people that cannot save themselves. And this is not a one-time offer. His continual invitation is, Come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are thirsty, and I will give you drink. He's here to deliver. He's here to satisfy. And what this does, this, the power of this mighty God, shifts the atmosphere of what is actually possible. Christmas is about exploding your categories, right? All of your religious boxes that you tried to keep God in, or you try to keep him at bay, this Christmas, this 
God who is incarnated in this little baby is meant to explode the categories of what are actually possible. And you know, there's this shift that's meant to happen through Advent. Because fearful people don't think things are, you know, there's not a lot of possibilities for fearful people, right? You're just focusing on surviving. Well, that's not the message of Christmas at all, right? Just make it through or fake it till you make it or, you know, grin and grin your teeth and, or, you know, grit your teeth and bear it. Like all of those things, that's not the message of Advent. The message of Advent is that the mighty God comes to save and deliver fearful people. I was reading this book this week, and it kind of tells the story of Roger Bannister and when he broke the four-minute mile. Like, this happened in 1954. So, basically, for a long time, like, scientists really studied this, and they believed that it was impossible for someone to run under a four-minute mile. And they, they really considered it deadly to even try. Until... Roger Bannister, I don't, I don't even know if he did it on purpose, but I mean, he trained and he trained and he did it and he broke that by like six-tenths of a second. He ran just under a four-minute mile. But you know what happened right after that? People saw that that physical limitation was really a mental limitation and 16 people over the next three years broke that four-minute mile mark because what was possible had changed. That's exactly what Advent is about. We're no longer supposed to live in darkness and doubt and despair and discouragement. We're supposed to lift up our eyes to the mighty God who is able to save us no matter what you are walking through. That is the message of Advent. He is the mighty God. Everything that is possible has changed. And this is exactly what God spoke to Mary when the promise of the incarnation came to her that she was carrying the Savior, she asked the question, she said, how can all of these things be? And God's response, Luke 137, for nothing will be impossible with God. Right? So take that. That's our filter for all of life. With God, nothing is impossible. The incarnation changes what is possible because he has met our greatest need by defeating sin, death, hell, and the grave, right? Now we have this opportunity to take risk, to make him known, to live life in the fullness of all that he has purchased for us. So this Advent season, if you're honest with yourself, where do you need his unlimited power to be manifest? It is offered to you freely through the sacrifice of Jesus. The next name that we're going to unpack is Everlasting Father. This refers to Jesus' unending compassion. Jesus is God's compassion expressed. Now, I hope when you read (laughs) this phrase that Jesus is the Everlasting Father, that you're kind of asking some questions of yourself, right? Um, if you're a good Trinitarian, like we don't really speak about Jesus being the Father, and in some ways that could kind of be seen as heresy. And uh, I had to do a little bit of a deep dive this week, just kind of studying into this. Um, but the reality is, like, how many of you are familiar with the song Father Abraham? Right? <laughs> Father Abraham. Let's go. And many sons. Many sons have Father Abraham. I hadn't done that in a while. <laughs> so. So Father Abraham is the head of the nation of Israel, 
right? Um, he is the father of a nation, right? And so Isaiah, I mean, he, I mean, we have this whole Bible that we can look back on. We have, you know, actually this scripture kind of expounded upon in the New Testament. So we can look back and we can rightly apply this to Jesus. But I'm sure for Isaiah, I mean, he's just looking at this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father that is the, the champion of God's people, and it's exploding every category that he has. So when he's speaking of this Messiah that's coming, this king that's coming, he's going to be the representative or the head of a nation, and it is a new people and a new humanity. Um, this father is full of compassion. This father is full of mercy. And he's the one that takes initiative to care for and provide for his people, especially the most vulnerable. Right? That's something we've been digging into over Advent. He is known in other places as the father to the fatherless. He is the God of slaves and prostitutes and outcasts. He's the one that's made provision for widows and orphans. And everyone is invited to belong to this new family of the everlasting father. So the, the best illustration that I could come up with, because it's Christmas time, um, I don't know how many of you have seen this, but there's basically Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Island of Misfit Toys. Guys, all right? Yukon Cornelius, right? I'm, so I'm going to just kind of bring it back for you guys. But basically, Rudolph is kind of like lost, and he's with Yukon Cornelius and this other guy, and they find themselves lost and stranded on the island of misfit toys. There is a, a boat that won't float. There's an airplane that won't fly. There's a rattle that won't rattle. And to Sam King's most horror, there's a pink fire truck. Right? So these are toys that nobody wants. They don't have a place. And Rudolph is always comforting them. When Santa comes, he will find a place for every single one of you. And I know that's a silly thing, but that's exactly what Jesus does. Right? He finds a place for people that have no other place. For people that don't have a family, he makes a family. That's what the church is. It's a place for everyone to be invited. It's a place for everyone to belong. He is the everlasting father and he is going to rule forever. He makes a place and a way for those that have no way. The final name that we are going to unpack is Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the one who comes to restore all of God's promises. Now this word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And it includes this sense of inner calm and well-being that we are familiar with. But it goes a little bit deeper. It means peace and wholeness and universal flourishing. It's probably easier to kind of illustrate what shalom is. Jesus is the one that comes to bring wholeness and universal flourishing. And this is kind of the best news of the gospel. He comes to set all things that are wrong right. He comes in to bring a sense of wholeness. And so he brings peace between God and man. And he also comes to bring peace between brothers Right? People that were naturally enemies with one another. He brings unity. So you have these images in the Old Testament of uh, basically swords being turned into plowshares or hooks turned, or um, 
spears being turned into pruning hooks. There's these things that are meant for warfare that are actually turned into tools of cultivation because that's who this God is. He comes to bring peace. He comes to remove hostility between God and man and between man and man. There's also, this also applies not just to to people's relationships, but to to man's relationship with the world. So you have images in Isaiah of a lion and a lamb laying down together. So that's pretty holistic if you've got an apex predator laying next to a lamb, right? But that's what Jesus actually came into the world to do. That's why we say he came to bring peace as far as the curse is found. It is holistic. He came to bring peace. He is the prince of peace. He's bringing everything to be restored back to its original design. Or maybe in Christmas terms, the concept of home. Right? He came to bring this sense of wholeness and flourishing. I don't know if you've ever noticed this concept of home that comes through all of these Christmas songs. You've got the Frank Sinatra song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. Right? And it's usually got like this long haul trucker like that's trying to make this delivery so that he can get home to be with his family because home is where he's made for. Uh, you also have the same kind of imagery coming through even from Kevin in Home Alone, right? I mean, I don't know how in the world they got away with that. Only in the world of the 1990s could you lose your kid because, yeah, it was before the advent of cell phones, but that's an amazing thing just to go back and watch in and of itself. But, but Kevin's mom spent every single thing that she could so that she could get back home to be with her child. Well, that's exactly the concept of what it means for Jesus to be the Prince of Peace. Frederick Beckner says this. He says, when we think of home, we think of two things. We think of the place that we come from and we think of the place that we dream of. The Prince of Peace is to bring you into the place that you dream of. That idea of home is why so many people make so many sacrifices in this season to try to connect with other people. This is... There's an inconsolable longing for home and peace and shalom that lives in every single human heart. But this idea of peace also is meant to speak to us on the deepest level possible. All right, in 2022, that's on the realm of your own personal anxiety, that he is the prince of peace, that there is a sense of inner calm that happens when you're in the presence of this king, when you know that he has paid for all of your sins, past, present, and future, that there is nothing left for you except grace upon grace, when you come into the presence of this kind of king, it brings real peace. Mark Sayers, he says this, he says, the root of our anxiety is our disconnection from God. This means that we cannot be a non-anxious presence without God's presence. So, If you're here this morning and you're anxious and you're afraid, he's inviting you to experience his presence. So if disconnection from God is the source of our anxiety, then the solution is a connection to God that we are all offered. A.J. Sherrill, and I'm going to close with this quote, says, Every moment of every day, the most significant reality in the entire universe is the radical availability of God's presence. Yet in almost every moment of every day, we remain unaware of this generous gift. 
the greatest gift that you can receive or access or lay hold of in this season is the radical availability of God's presence. We're not just singing songs to the sky. We're not just here to kind of see one another, although that's a gift, but we're here to connect with the power and the presence of the king. He came to bring peace to those who are anxious. He came to bring peace to those who are experiencing hostility in the midst of their relationships. He came to bring peace with him. So this offer is here this morning. If you've never experienced this gift of salvation, and, and I mean, I'm not talking about praying a prayer. I'm talking about bowing your knee and giving your life to this king. He's appealing through Jesus to you that he wants you to be reconciled to him. This is more than an occasional religious observance. This is a a bowing of our lives and our hearts before the one that gave up his life for us. That is the invitation of Advent. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come up that all of us would experience his nearness and his peace, that he would reign in us and he would reign over us and that he would reign through us. Father, so much now I pray that you would break through any sense of formalism or pretense and that every single person here would gladly bow at the King of kings and the Lord of lords and experience the reign of the Prince of Peace, that they would experience what it means to be at home in your presence. For those that need real forgiveness for real sins, which is all of us, we humbly confess that apart from you, we're lost and we're hopeless. We all cling to you as the Prince of Peace and our salvation. for those that are suffering and don't understand the extent of what's going on in the midst of their story, I pray that you would help us to find our place in your story and the God that gave himself up for us. I pray that there's real trust that's communicated here. And I pray that you do what only you can do, that that you do bring a sense of real joy in the midst of chaos and that there would be a song that would transcend our circumstances, that would speak to our circumstances and that would bring us real life. I pray that you would set people free in this moment to worship you in ways that they never have, that there would be dancing and joy and lifting of our hands and clapping and smiling because... You've come into the world. You are the Prince of Peace. You are our mighty God. And we delight to be your children. It is an absolute privilege to worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.